0: Last week, we talked about the problems that we have of getting sidetracked spiritually. At times, it's idols in our life that become more important to us than than God and and time spent with Him. Other times, it's trials that come that keep our, our focus off of who God has called for us to be in Jesus and what Christ has called for us to do as his disciples, and then we looked once again at the example of the Apostle Paul and talked about the fact that the Apostle Paul is a wonderful example for us for how to stay the course spiritually for Christ. We said that though Paul had a lot of ups and downs in his life and in his ministry, He remained faithful to the calling that Christ had placed on his life. Wherever the circumstances led Paul is where Paul continued in his ministry. He was unwavering in his ministry. He stayed the course, fought the good fight, persevered through ups and downs, highs and lows. And we talked about last week, and we're going to definitely see that again this week as well. For the past several weeks now, we've been with Paul in Caesarea. And I joked last week, he's been there about two years, and it feels as if we've been there with Paul for about two years now, right? There's a lot that Luke gives us on Paul's time in Caesarea. And he is in custody there. Remember, he was arrested in Jerusalem and sent there for his own safety. And though both Roman governors at this time who were in Caesarea, Felix and then Festus who replaced Felix, they find no fault in Paul. We learn that they keep him locked up as a favor to the Jews, to appease the Jews who wanted Paul dead. Festus went as far trying to please the Jews as suggesting that Paul be tried again in Jerusalem before Festus. But remember, Paul appealed to Caesar in Rome, and Festus responds by saying, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. But as we have talked about over the past few weeks, Paul is still in Caesarea, right? He has not yet left because Festus has a problem on his hands. Though Paul has appealed to Rome to be tried there, he is not found guilty of anything. In this day, Festus was required, along with sending a prisoner to Rome, to send a report along with that prisoner. And in that report were to be the accusations made against the prisoner. But in Paul's case... There have been no accusations made against Paul that is stuck. Paul is is innocent, and he is being kept by Festus as a favor to the Jews. So Festus has a problem on his hands. Festus knew that it would not be good for him to send a Roman citizen to Rome who's not guilty, right? But he also knew that if he let Paul go, he's going to have a problem on his hands with the Jews in Jerusalem and in Caesarea and elsewhere who wanted Paul dead. So Festus is in a bad spot here. That is until Herod Agrippa II shows up. King Herod, Festus thinks he's going to be let off the hook here when when Agrippa shows up. And Agrippa at this time was just doing that which was customary. He was visiting the new ruler over Judea. And Agrippa at this time is the king of the Jews, but he had no real authority at this time. He just had a title. But Festus knew that him being king of the Jews, he was knowledgeable of all things Jewish. And if Paul was at fault in any way from a Jewish perspective, Festus thought Agrippa would would see it. And then he could get Festus something that he could put in this report to send with Paul to Rome that might carry some weight there and get him off the hook. And so Festus talks with Agrippa about the situation and Agrippa agrees to meet with Paul. And last week, we looked at the uh, first half of chapter 26 of Paul's defense in Caesarea before Agrippa, and we see in this chapter, and we'll see today, we saw it last week, we'll see it again today, how Paul stays the course. He continues to be faithful and take advantage of every opportunity that God gives him in ministry. Now, I said last week, I probably would not have responded in this way i've been held up in Caesarea for a couple of years i 've appealed to Rome, and they want to put me on trial again to say the same things i 've already said. If I were in Paul 's Sandals, I would have probably said listen i 've already answered you guys i 've appealed to Caesar get me to Rome Paul doesn't do that, does he He doesn't takes advantage of every opportunity so I want to jump back into this story this morning and I want to do a short review of what we talked about last week for those of y'all who are out or are visiting. And then I want to finish out this chapter. We said last week that Paul on trial here, this last trial in Caesarea, this passage that Luke records for us, it breaks up nicely into three parts. First, we have the permission granted to speak. Then you have the message proclaimed by the accused. And lastly, you have the response of those present. First, notice quickly in review the permission granted to speak. In verse 1, Agrippa gives Paul permission to address he and Bernice and Festus and the others. And boy, was Paul ever ready to speak. We talked about this last week, he had a sermon ready. Paul was always ready to give an account for the hope that he had in Jesus. And believers, we should be ready as well. We talked last week about how we need to ready ourselves. And in your study guide this week, you've noticed we've addressed that. How to be prepared when those opportunities come. Paul was. Though Paul had appealed... To Caesar and had his sight set on Rome, he doesn't squander this opportunity. We said last week that in the trials of his life, Paul saw ministry opportunities. He did not let trials and difficulty get him off track spiritually. He was faithful, and wherever that faithfulness landed him, that's where he remained faithful faithful and continued on in ministry and he took advantage of every opportunity that was given him especially during the trials in the trials of paul's life he saw ministry opportunities believers what about you do you take advantage of those opportunities given you are you making the most of every opportunity that god has given you are you ready If the opportunity were to present itself today, are you ready to give an account for the hope that you have in Jesus? Paul was, and Paul did. And he responded with a great message. That's point number two, the message of the accused. We learned in the passage we looked at last week that when given the opportunity, Paul shares God's gospel message. And there are four parts to Paul's message. First, he tells of his Jewish past. This is just a review. He tries to establish common ground with his Jewish accusers to show that he was once where they were except he was more zealous. He was educated in Jerusalem. He lived as a Pharisee. But then, notice Paul transitions by saying, though I was once zealous, this zealous Pharisee, now here I stand on trial before you because I believe and proclaim the promises that God made to our fathers, to Abraham, repeated to Isaac, then to Jacob, and to others that have been fulfilled in Jesus. Paul says, this is the reason I'm on trial. Because I believe and I am proclaiming to you that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one God raised. And then he reminds them, Paul does, that there was once a time when he, like the non-believing Jews, did not believe this. He says, at one time, I persecuted those who taught this. Who believed that jesus is the messiah and taught that he was the messiah and that he had been raised he said at one time i locked up saints in prison and when they were put to death i cast my vote against them paul says he says i chased them all over everywhere i persecuted them to foreign cities i tortured them caused them to blaspheme he says i used to persecute christians For believing in Jesus, but I was wrong. I have come to understand that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Now, how did Paul come to this conclusion? Well, that leads us to our second point that Paul makes in his sermon. Notice he testifies about the risen Christ. He shares once again with Agrippa and others, how he came to this realization that Jesus is the promised Messiah whom God raised from the dead. He is the fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old Testament by God to their Jewish fathers. He shares with them that on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christians under the authority and the commission of the chief priests, he says at midday he has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Jesus shows up. He appears to Paul. And we know from that point on, Paul is never the same. And Paul is sharing this with Agrippa and the others in the crowd. He is sharing that Jesus has appeared to me. He has shown himself to me as the Messiah. He is the hope of heaven. He is the one who came to fulfill all that God promised to their fathers. He is the one who is alive. He is risen. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Paul says, I have seen him with my own eyes. I have heard from him with my own ears. And after appealing to his Jewish past and sharing this about the risen Christ, Paul continues by sharing his testimony, sharing about his heavenly calling. That's the next point. Paul shares about his heavenly calling. Paul says, The risen Lord did more than just appear to me, He made me His apostle. The word translated sending in verse 17 is the Greek word apostello. It's where we get our word apostle. Jesus calls Paul out. He sets him apart from the non-believing Jews and Gentiles only to send him back out into the world to be a witness to the world for Christ. And believers, that's the calling that's been placed upon our lives as well, right? We have been called out of this world. We've been set set apart from the world only to be sent back into the world to be witnesses for Christ to the world. That's the calling that's been placed upon us. And Paul shares about this calling. He says in verse 18 of Acts 26 that Christ has commissioned him, God has sent him to minister to non-believing Jews and Gentiles for the purpose, verse 18, of opening their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus again we discussed that passage this last week Paul then explains to Agrippa in verses 19-21 through that he's been obedient to this calling that's been placed on his life. Let's pick up in verse 19. Paul says this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul says, I have remained faithful. I have stayed the course. I have not wavered in doing what Christ has commissioned me to do. Verse 20. But declared first to those in Damascus. Remember, Paul's ministry to the Jews began there. Right after he received his sight, he began ministering in Damascus until they wanted to kill him. Then they had to sneak Paul out of Damascus. Then he made his way back to Jerusalem and he ministered to the Jews there until they wanted to kill him. And then Paul had to be snuck out of Jerusalem and he says, I ministered like this all throughout the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, telling them, that they should repent and turn to God and get this, underline this part, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul not only told them that they are to repent and turn to God, but he tells them, get this, that they are to be performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. In other words, Paul says, you're to be fruitful, believers. Listen, we've talked about this over and over again. Followers of Christ, surprise, surprise, follow Christ. And they bear fruit. Scripture is crystal clear on this. God returns to this over and over and over again in His Word. Now, good Works are not the root of our salvation. They're not. They don't make us right with God, but they are the fruit of our salvation. They show that we have been made right with God. Look at this quote by John MacArthur on this verse up on the screen. I love this quote. He says, repentance involves a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. We'll leave that up for a minute. You can mark that down. Repentance involves a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Very, very good. Verse 21. For this reason, the Jews seized me, Paul said, in the temple and tried to kill me. Remember, they hated the fact that Paul was sharing a message that said Gentiles could be forgiven of sin and made right with God and remain non-Jewish. They didn't like that. See, the Jews like to think that they had the market cornered when it came to salvation. They thought that salvation was for the Jews and Gentile converts to Judaism. But that's not Paul's message. You know why it's not Paul's message? Because it's not God's message. It's not God's message. Paul continues to remain faithful to this heavenly calling. Well, we're going to... continue on in verse 22 and we're going to finish out Paul's message this morning and then we're going to look at the response of Festus and the response of Agrippa and the response of those in the crowd and we're going to look at Paul's response as well. Notice after Paul tells of his Jewish past, appeals to his Christian conversion, shares about his heavenly calling, he ends by explaining the gospel to them using their scripture. That's the last point there of Paul's sermon. Paul explains the gospel using their scripture look at verse 22 Paul says to this day I have had the help that comes from God let's stop there for just a minute I I love this you know Paul took every chance he could get to give God all the credit for everything isn't that great if Paul does that shouldn't we shouldn't we He says, from that day, the day when he had that encounter with Christ, to this day, I have had God's help all along the way. God has guided me and directed me all along. He is the one who delivered me. He empowers me. He has protected me in ministry. He has used me. And He is the one who has brought the fruit, right? God deserves all the credit. And believer, he deserves all of the credit in your life for where you are spiritually and for the fruit that comes from your life and the fruit that comes from your ministry. God deserves all the credit for that. Paul says, So I stand here testifying both the small and great to the rich and the poor, to the important and the insignificant by the standards of the world. Now listen to this. I love this. There's a lot I love about this passage, right? Have you noticed that? Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. And what did they say would come to pass? Look at verse 23. That the Christ must suffer. And that... By being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul does this over and over again when he is ministering to the Jews. He appeals to their fathers. He appeals to their prophets. He appeals to their scripture. And he basically says, nothing I am saying to you is contrary to what Moses and the prophets have said all throughout scripture. Believers, do you realize that the Jewish writers of the Old Testament wrote about Christ's suffering? Do you know that? Read David's words in Psalm chapter 22. Written hundreds of years before Christ came to earth, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar to you? Those words were uttered by Christ at the cross. David says, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Sound familiar? They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? Read Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 53, written hundreds of years before the earthly ministry of Christ, where he says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we're healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. It's all there. Think about all the pictures that the different sacrifices paint for us of Jesus. Think about the Passover lamb. Think about the Feast of first fruits that Paul says points to Jesus' resurrection that took place, on the way, by the way, on the first day of the week after Passover. It's all there. Paul says, according to Moses and your prophets, salvation will be made available through Jesus, get this, to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Now, are you telling me that the Old Testament... Teaches that salvation, the salvation that this Messiah will provide, that he will accomplish, it will extend to the Gentiles? Where are we told that? All throughout the word. You better believe it, believers. Genesis 12, the promise God made to Abraham. He tells him that in and through his family, all nations, all nations, all in the Hebrew there means all, by the way. All nations will be blessed. So Paul tells Agrippa, I once was like all of these zealous Jews wanting to kill me. I persecuted Christians just like me, but I've been changed. I have seen the risen Christ. I have been commissioned by him to be a witness to my people and to the Gentiles for him. That's what I've been doing, Paul says. From that day until now, receiving great help from God till this day. And here I stand before you, he says, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul was bold, wasn't he? No matter the circumstances, he stayed the course. He remained faithful. He did not waver when it came to his mission. And he did not hesitate to share God's gospel message. What about you, believers? What about you? Can this be said of you? Now, I know Paul's in a league of his own, but listen, we're to be striving to be like this here. We are. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been sidetracked spiritually like the Galatians. Remember, Paul wrote a letter to them because they had been sidetracked spiritually. They were living for Christ. They were following hard after God through Jesus. But soon after Paul left, they departed from the path. And Paul asks an excellent question of them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says this, You're running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He basically says, You were faithfully following hard after God. What happened? Now, for the Christians in Galatia, it was false teachers and their false doctrines. But this is a good question for all of us to ask ourselves this morning, right? Maybe at one time you were running a good race. You were faithfully following God, but somewhere along the way you have been sidelined. What has hindered you from following hard after Jesus? What has kept you from being faithful to him? Trust me when I tell you this, that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more difficult that walk is going to be. But also, believe me when I say that continuing to run the race is worth it. It's the path to true joy. Also know, believers, you're not alone in the race. That's great news, isn't it? You have God's people. But listen, you also have God right there with you. Paul realized that. That's why he said, all throughout my ministry to this day, I have had help that comes from God. God is right here with us in this race that we're running, believers, and he gives us the grace and the strength we need to run well and to finish strong. That's our truth for the week, by the way in your study guide that you received in your bulletin on the way in listen to this god gives us the grace and the strength we need to run the race he has called for us to run and finish strong very very important that we remember that philippians 2 12 through 13 bill read it earlier therefore my beloved As you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're to run the race. We're to know that God gives us grace to run that race well and to finish strong wonderful truth, right? From God's word. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been hindered from running this race. Listen, God's word is for you this morning. God's word to you is this, you need to get back up. Dust yourself off and get back in the race. You don't need to beat yourself up, but you do need to get up and run this race. Strive to be like Paul. Strive to be like Jesus. Keep running. Stay the course. Run the race well and finish strong. Knowing that God gives you the grace you need. He is working in us what we're working out, and he gives you the grace to run that race well. You need to see your need of him. Run with him. Well, after Paul finishes this message, we have the response. Notice the first response is from Festus. Notice Festus's response. Look at verse 24. And as Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, he interrupts Paul, and he says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. It's driving you out of your mind. He acknowledges that paul is a smart guy but he says all of your great learning has messed with your head paul it's made you mad so that's festus's response when he hears paul talk about this man named jesus who is the lord who suffered and died and was raised he said paul you're nuts he responded like many of the gentiles did in this day to the gospel and like many gentiles do today as well right they view it as foolish and believers know that when you're faithful to share this message you'll be looked at by some to be foolish but don't let that cause you to be sidelined don't let that cause you to be quiet continue to share this message regardless knowing that eternity is at stake paul did Paul did but but God told us that that's the way they would respond remember he told us through the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 18 the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing does that mean we don't need to go to them and share God's message with them no because they're perishing we're to go boldly share this message. But, but notice how Paul responds to Festus's accusations. He was always ready, wasn't he? Look at Paul's response, verse 25. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. He says... Don't be mistaken. I've not gone mad. I'm not out of my mind. The words that I'm speaking, I know what I'm saying. They're true and rational words. I'm in my right mind. I'm thinking clearly, more clearly than I ever was before Jesus, right? And then notice how Paul transitions and he focuses in on Agrippa. He's going to appeal to this king's knowledge of Judaism and is going to use his knowledge to offer an invitation to salvation for this king. It's amazing. Notice what he does here. It's really interesting. Paul says in verse 26, for the king knows about these things. He's speaking to Festus, but he's speaking about Agrippa. He says, the king knows about these things. To him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. I love that. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. This is great. Paul tells Festus, I'm in my right mind. The words that I'm speaking are clear and true. And guess what? The king knows it. He knows what the Jews believe. He knows the promises that have been made by God to our people that I am saying have been fulfilled fulfilled in Jesus He knows about these promises. To him, I speak boldly. None of these things, he says, has escaped his notice. He's been around. Agrippa knows about Jesus. He knows the arguments I'm making about him from the scripture. I love the line, this has not been done in a corner. The Jewish beliefs are well known. And documented. And so is the person and work of the Lord Jesus. He did this in public, right? He had a public ministry and he was crucified publicly for the world to see. Agrippa knows about these promises. And he also knows, Paul hints at this, he knows that Jesus could be, might be the fulfillment of these things promised by Moses and the prophets. And notice the invitation, verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. I know you do. Boy, Paul is bold. He is in chains before this great king and he is the one doing the interrogating. He is the one asking the questions. He is the one making the appeals. He is the one pushing for a response. And notice Agrippa gives him a response. Look at verse 28. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? Now, in the King James, it says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, which makes it sound as if Paul was pretty convincing to Agrippa, but that's not how it reads in the Greek. That's not a very good translation of that phrase there. What Agrippa is saying is this. In this short period of time, you're going to persuade me to become a Christian? Think again, Paul. It's basically what he's saying there. He was hardened to the gospel, though Paul might have been, probably was convincing when he talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of what God had promised to his people. Remember when Luke was explaining it, he said when Paul went into the synagogues, he proved that Jesus was the Christ he removed all doubt. So I'm sure he was convincing, but Agrippa refuses to believe it. He refuses to respond to it. All he says is, you think in a short period of time you can convince me to become a Christian? Look at Paul's response, verse 29. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. I love that. Paul says, whether a short time or a long time, it makes no difference to me. I wish all of you would hear this message and respond to it and become just like I am minus these chains, minus being a prisoner. Paul didn't care about the length of time. He didn't care about who his audience was, rich or poor, exalted or lowly. He had a desire for them all to turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And I hope that goes for you as well, believers. I hope that's your desire. I hope and pray that you're ready to give an account For the hope that you have in Jesus and when those opportunities come at you, I I hope and pray that you do not discriminate. You take that message and you boldly share it to whomever God places in your path, rich or poor, high and lifted up by the world's standards or, or lowly and forgotten about, whoever it is, you don't discriminate and you share the message boldly. Paul did. Well, how does Agrippa and the rest listening respond to the message? Let's look at it, verse 30. Notice the audience's response. The king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, notice she's always associated with Agrippa. That was his sister, who was also his lover. Holy Spirit highlights that for us, that relationship. And those who were sitting with them, verse 31, And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. So notice after this trial, the king rose with the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And when they left the assembly, they gathered together in private and they agreed that Paul had done nothing to deserve death Or imprisonment. And Agrippa told Festus, Paul would not be in this mess. He could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. So Paul lays out this gospel message. He directs it primarily at this Jewish king because he knows that he has some understanding of Judaism and he seems to be tuned in to what Paul is saying and did not view Paul as being crazy like Festus did and he shares this message with him and how does Agrippa respond? He doesn't, does he? He's indifferent. He's indifferent to it. He along with others in the crowd along with Festus states that Paul is innocent. But he, like Pilate, did with Jesus, like Felix did with Paul, like Festus did with Paul. He says there's no fault in him. He's not guilty of anything, but he, like Pilate and like Felix and like Festus, did not believe and trust in Christ as a result. Instead, Agrippa says he could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar, and then he suggests that he just be passed along, sent on to Rome and out of their hands. He remained indifferent to the gospel Paul preached. Agrippa's story, like Felix and like Festus, is extremely sad. And it's a story that's told over and over again on a daily basis. They had Paul in their midst, sharing God's gospel, and they did not respond to it. They remained indifferent to the message. How about you? If you're here today and you've been listening, if you have been with us for a few Sundays, hopefully you have heard this message, God's gospel message, but have you responded to it? Do you realize that though God has created you to live in relationship with Him, you are set against Him in your sin? Do you realize that? Do you realize that though you deserve God's wrath and judgment like we've been singing about this morning, because of your sin, because God is a holy and just and righteous God, you deserve that. Do you realize that God has demonstrated his love? for condemned sinners like you and me by sending his son, God the son who stepped out of eternity and into the world in which he created to live for us and die for us and be raised for us so that we through faith alone in him alone could be forgiven of sin and made right with God through faith in Jesus. Do you realize that? That's the message of the gospel. If you're here this morning, and you're listening now, I pray that you would not respond like Agrippa, not respond like Felix, not respond like Festus. My desire, like Paul, each and every Sunday is that you would hear the message and that if you have not responded to the message, that you would do so today, no matter who you are. That you would turn from your sin, no matter what you've done, and you would make... Christ your Lord if you're here you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation now's the time I urge you today turn over the reins of your life give your life up and over to Jesus and be saved let's pray